This episode is brought to you by Vade. Vade is connecting the curb through their patent-pending solar-powered cameras, computer vision tool, and powerful APIs to collect real-time data. They make it easy to automate curb management with zero upfront cost and a simple subscription model. Learn more at vadepark.com. The Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in parking, mobility, and transportation. Pay attention here. Registration is now open for IPMI's Virtual Mobility and Innovation Summit to be held February 24th and 25th. You can get all the details and register at parking-mobility.org forward slash M-I-S. Hello and welcome to The Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Joining us on the podcast today is Carl Schneeman, Principal at Walker Consultants. How are you doing today, Carl? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Isaiah. And Carl, we can't pass this up because I think we had a discussion where we actually talked about the meaning of your name, which is very prevalent to the topic today at hand. So tell us the meaning behind Schneeman. It, it is. It's, it's quite salient for, uh, for the topic here. Uh, but Schneeman is uh, snowman in German. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're unsure from the from the title, we are talking about snow, snow removal. So I heard you on the Snow Talk podcast, believe it or not. I thought you were wonderful on that. How did that actually come about? How did you land end up landing on the Snow Talk podcast? Well, you know, those those folks are great. You know, Mike Freeze um over at SEMA is uh just a stellar guy and, and the organization's wonderful. You know, we've we've used them as a resource for a lot of understanding the industry better, you know, where we've got uh, a lot of vendors and a lot of direct feedback from the folks that are getting uh, snow removal done. And as a designer, you know, there's a lot of interest in looking for that kind of uh, perspective. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of conversations with those folks and, you know, they had an interest in, in kind of flipping my perspective on us and saying, well, okay, from a snow removal standpoint, what, would they, what do we need to think about from a design standpoint? So yeah, unique opportunity. Yeah, and I just thought about that. The host was Mr. Freeze, and he had the guest, Mr. Snowman, on the, on the podcast. We're right, like, kindred the, there, right? <laughs> dynamic duo there. Man, I'm going to have to change my name to Mr. Parker or something to be more, <laughs> more relevant. But all right, Carl, I ask all my guests this. How did you get into the parking industry? You know, it is, it is a unique industry, isn't it? You know, my first gig in parking actually was in high school. And, and I can't remember the exact circumstances, but I ended up in charge of collecting all the permit money and assigning permits for our high school parking lot. And, you know, I've always been a kind of a car person. And so that was exciting. Uh, you know, but I mean, talk about parking uh, assignments and pressure. I mean, you know, from a professional practice standpoint, a lot of the times, you know, there's a very business-like relationship with our clientele. But when you're dealing with, you know, a whole high school class of everybody that knows you, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> a, lot oh, of, a, lot, a lot of patronage requests and <laughs> oh, bribery <yeah>. and... <laughs> Senior discounts. Yeah, wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah, but it is, it's kind of fun. I've always liked, I've always liked cars and, and you know, I, I think back to like those Richard Scary books, um, you know, things that go... Uh, uh, you know, the little cartoon books and stuff. That's, I mean, things like that just really excite me. And so, 
from an engineering standpoint, being able to work on designing uh, parking systems and structures and really being able to kind of, you know, play with cars, if you will, has always been exciting for me. And so it's been a natural fit and a number of good people, you know, from growing up and into college and first jobs kind of pointed me in the right direction. So here I am. Oh, that's great. And I heard you say design. So I believe you have a a degree in structural engineering from Marquette. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So how how was that? I mean, did you did you think you'd be designing parking garages or that came after the fact? No, it definitely was not the first the first uh you know pass in college here, but you know, engineering was something that's always been of an interest and particularly concrete and steel structures. And the more I got into it, you know, it turned out that I'd, I had a real affinity for pre-stress and post-tension systems, which is kind of a niche industry within structural engineering, if you will. And, you know, some of the most popular structures that utilize those systems are garages. And there's a number of folks in southeastern Wisconsin that uh, had also an affinity for that and, and kind of pointed me in, into that direction because they're exciting systems. I mean, it's really cool to think that, you know, we can take something heavy or as heavy and as massive as, you know, big concrete beams and floors and that kind of thing. And we can lift them in, with cables and make them actually very light, airy structures. I mean, because garages are not these you know, giant bunkers. I mean, if you go stand on the floor as vehicles go by, I mean, you can feel vibration. And so it's really an interesting thing to, you know, be able to use materials wisely. So it was always an interesting uh, application of that technology and was able to get hooked up with the right people in Wisconsin and, and, and frankly, in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And yeah, so always had interest in that. Yeah. And you talked about the, the garage vibrating. I've, I've, I've been in this industry long enough where I've had a few offices inside a garage under ramps and stuff where you just used to that vibration in the office all day, cars driving up and down. But, uh, and I did see from LinkedIn kind of the years you went to Marquette. So I got to ask, I don't know if you're a basketball fan or not, but were you there when like they, Dwayne Wade and that, that team that was, made that yeah. big run? Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> exciting. That's cool. Yeah, fortunate uh, to be there at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you went to games and stuff, but that was a, I remember watching that. that was a, was it Tom Crean? I like him as a coach, but that was a fun little few seasons there. Oh yeah, that was that was an absolute treat to be there during that time frame. And you know, the games with Marquette and Wisconsin is always an in-state rivalry, and you know, those are always uh, pretty exciting. But to be able to get to the Final Four, you know, that's that's a heck of an experience for people to go through. Oh yeah, man, I I enjoyed it living vicariously. <laughs> through my, my Marquette fans. But all right, so it's the title of the show. We're talking about snow. We're going to jump right in it. We're already in the middle of winter, so we're going to talk some snow removal. I think just listening to the, to your episode on the snow talk, you, one thing I really liked that you talked about was that it's not just a winter process. Snow removal yeah. in the right climate, it's a, it's a year-long process. Tell us what you mean by, by that. Snow is, you know, it's something that in a lot of climates, you know, you have to deal with, right? And, and there's a, an ability um, or an affinity for it to be kind of a chore, right? You know, a lot of times I kind of akin or liken it to, you know, mowing your lawn, right? It's, it's something that you got to do, but when you get done with it, it's okay. You know, it looks pretty nice. And 
you know, but it's not just, you know, one, you know, step, you don't just get the mower out and go run through, right? You got to think about watering, you got to think about fertilizing, right? Sunlight, that kind of thing. And with snow removal, it's the same kind of thing, right? These buildings, you know, our environment that, that we exist in always has, you know, the need to be able to uh, be cleaned up so that we've got a safe and, and serviceable environment. And so, you know, beyond just plowing and moving, you know, the white stuff around, we got to think about, you know, what does that surface look like in the winter? Uh, how do we need to clean that out? How do we think about stockpiling materials and getting supply chains set up? It, it really is a year-round process. And, and when you get, you know, through a winter, you got to be able to clean out the garage or clean out the, the floor surfaces because you don't want to have conditions that are going to be susceptible for corrosion. Um, and you certainly don't want to have uh, surfaces that are going to start scaling. You know, so you kind of go through seasonally each one of these steps. You know, springtime cleaning gives you a good opportunity to check the integrity of the piping. Right, a lot of times as you get through the summer, you kind of sweep everything out and keep the surfaces clean and, and, and grit-free so you're not wearing down sealants and coatings. And then as you're starting to get into fall, right, you've got to line up. What are you going to be doing for contingencies of de-icing chemicals, of equipment suppliers? Who's going to be your snow removal guys? Who's your backups, right? And it does. It, comes, it becomes kind of a year-round process to be able to prepare for it because at the end of the day, you know, we want it to have you know, welcoming and accommodating facilities for folks. Yeah, spot on. And I have some kind of design questions, but before I want to get down to the, the nitty gritty and, you know, if someone hasn't seen their first snowfall yet, but it's coming, what are, what are some kind of best practices down to the nitty gritty as far as, you know, making sure you have uh, uh, grading supply stocked, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean you have to have, you know, a few things that, I, that always come to mind, and, and this is a, a natural conversation for folks, especially this time of year, you know, even if we haven't been preparing, you know, in, in August, September for this, you know, there's still chances to do it. But, you know, I think, you know, the first thing is who's going to be doing the snow removal, right? Is that something that's going to be an in-house crew? Who's really in charge of it and, 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 and whose responsibilities are what? Um, that's got to be identified. And so if you've got a vendor, lined up they've got to be prepared you know you kind of almost got to treat it just like you know a construction project right you're going to be engaging in an activity so you've got to have a pre-construction right or a pre-removal plan meeting and really identify you know how are you going to be able to move through the facility in terms of a snowfall event you know once the snow is moved how does that get out of the structure does it come out through chutes does it come out uh, you know in trucks and trailers what types of equipment um, all those details have got to get kind of sorted out. And then, you know, once you've got things clean, how do you maintain that, right? Are we going to be dealing with the icing chemicals? Are we going to be dealing with, you know, grit agents like sand? And are you ready in terms of having access to those supplies or those vendors? Um, you know, are you ready for it or not? Yeah, and you mentioned de-icing chemicals and sand. And so first, my background. So I grew up on the equator, Panama, Central America, hot, sure. hot, hot. They say you could boil an egg on the side of the road. So I, <laughs> but then I was shipped. My first job was Springfield, Massachusetts in the winter. No idea what I was doing. But I remember there was like different opinions back then. Like, no, you don't use sand because it clogs up X. Or no, you don't use salt. No, you don't use calcium. Like what, like what is the, I guess, the best practice or rule of thumb today? Like what should you be using right. in your garages? that doesn't deteriorate, you know, your rebar and all that. 
Right. And, and you know, and actually, um, it, it, it is a hotly debated and a very deep topic, actually, when you get into the chemistry and, and all those effects. You know, I think one of the safest things you can do is you got to realize that there's a compromise to be made, right? We can't say, you know, no, we're not going to use any chemicals, period, because at the end of the day, we still have to promote that kind of safe environment. And so there's got to be a judicious application of agents that are going to be suitable for this. You know, there's a lot of different types of chemicals. There's, you know, your traditional uh, rock salts, which are sodium chloride, you know, same kind of stuff as table salt, right? It just comes in kind of chunk form. And that's really good down to like 15 Fahrenheit. You can go a little bit lower with that as well. But, you know, just generally speaking, the problem is, is it's corrosive, like you said. And so if it's left to sit within the concrete and absorb into it, it causes all sorts of problems for the embedded reinforcement, as well as door frames and other things like that. And so, you know, you look at what else is out there. There's calcium chloride, which is super good in terms of uh, melting ice at low temperatures, but it's incredibly aggressive. Right? But, you know, that, and that's that kind of those blue rocks you see floating around um, in a lot of the icing chemicals. And, and what we've seen recently, too, is a lot of magnesium chloride get into the marketplace. And it's particularly interesting because it's it, very effective. It, it also has a little bit of a side byproduct that it actually can dissolve young concretes themselves. And so you got to be really careful with all these because they're all good at melting ice, right? But you've got to be really careful with what you want to use as a blend. There's also a whole bunch of other organic um, or inert materials. Um, calcium, magnesium, acetates are really good at like breaking the bond of ice to the concrete. Um, you know, ureas are, are often, uh, you know, really green and helpful so long as you don't get them into water because they turn into ammonia and they can cause issues in streams, but, but you know, they're, they're not corrosive. And so finding this kind of blend often ends up with, you know, a use of some sand, a little bit of, you know, rock salt, and maybe a little bit of calcium magnesium acetate just to kind of break up uh, the bond. Uh, but you kind of got to, you know, continually dial that in uh, throughout a winter so that you're not, you know, putting too much chloride into the deck that can wreck it, but at the same time still promoting a safe environment. Yeah, I didn't know about the magnesium chloride. I haven't heard of that one, so I have to research that one. And, yeah. And, you, and you, you flirt, you talked about this in the Snow Talk podcast. You kind of flirted with it. You used the word, the judicial review, but you, you did stress more about like the trade-off you have to consider between, between the environmental effects of de-icing versus, look, someone could get seriously hurt. So that maybe right. just expand a little bit more on that because I thought that was great stuff. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, here's the thing is like, you know, you've got de-icing chemicals that can be damaging and deleterious to the structure, right? But if you've got a good regimen of sealers and other agents that can keep those chlorides on the surface, right? You kind of can dance in this window until springtime, right? Where you can actually flush all that out and not let it absorb into the structure. And that often, if you kind of follow that practice, you can ward off, you know, a slip and fall. Um, or a collision of a vehicle, you know, from sliding around because those can be incredibly uh, costly issues from a life safety and risk management standpoint as well. And so we've kind of got to dance between, you know, managing the facility and managing this, the surfaces so that we do keep things safe. All the while, you know, you, you, you're, you're trying to avoid a slip and fall 
and pro provide a good environment at the same time you're trying to not destroy the asset, right? Because garages are not cheap to build, right? They're not cheap to operate. <laughs> and so you've got this kind of balancing act of there's not any perfect solution other than to actively manage the, the, the circumstances. That's great. And is there like a good like website or resource you recommend where, you know, listeners that manage parking garages can keep up to date with the latest and greatest and snow removal products and best practices? Well, I think, I think the folks at SEMA um, are, are, are very good at that. I mean, they're really kind of the leading resource from an industry practice standpoint. Um, most of the DOTs in um, the northern climates, right, so kind of north I-70, if you will, have a lot of good resources that you can look to that are often helpful to locally tailor recommendations, right? Because one of the challenges that we have is we've got, you know, such a large country, you know, in terms of the U.S., right? And so availability of product is going to be a little bit different from, from uh, location to location because so many of these materials are mined from the earth, right? Or they're, or they're processed in limited areas. You know, so the, the availability of getting uh, prilled urea in Massachusetts might be diff more difficult than in North Dakota, right? And so you can use your local DOTs. One of the really good guides is from the Western Transportation Institute. And I think it's called like the Manual of Environmental Best Practices, but it's a really good synthesis of all the common uh, techniques that are available. And coupling that with some of those local resources can be really valuable. One other thing was my manager stressed this a lot. Again, I was knew nothing about snow removal, but I remember having to buy a new truck or plow and he kept saying, a rubber tip blade, make sure it has a rubber tip blade, a rubber tip blade. So obviously we know the answer, but just we have a lot of uh, Southerners. Why don't you just talk a little bit about why that's important for snow removal in a garage? Yeah, I think, I think you know, in terms of the practices of being able to you know, physically manage snow removal, protecting um, you know, those waterproofing systems. You know, I mentioned, you know, how you kind of can float the, um, some of the de-icing products on the surface, right? That's done through sealers, sealants, traffic coatings, those sorts of things. But those are all soft materials that can be damaged by plow blades, by rotary brooms. Um, I mean, even just by hand shovels, right? And so, you know, thinking about, you know, use of uh, soft polymer or rubberized blades um, on plows is, is incredibly important to preserving the integrity of those waterproofing systems and, and also not to, or to slow the abrasion on the concrete as well. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how often we see kind of those rotary brooms that are on, um, you know, bobcats or, you know, other PTO devices and they're, they're wire, wire bristled. And it's incredible that you can, I mean, with one of those, you can just basically rip traffic coating right off the surface. And, and so you've got to go into nylon tipped or polymer tipped or even polymer uh, strand uh, bristles to be able to, to, to preserve those systems. And, and it is, I mean, it's, it, they're, they're little things that really don't cost much, uh, if anything, in some, practice, some places, but they make all the world a difference in terms of uh, preserving uh, the investments that have been made in those waterproofing systems. Yeah, and I learned how to how to operate the snowplow on the truck. Then they tried to get me on the bobcat, and we had a near death experience. And I was told <laughs> I'm not allowed to ever use the bobcat again. But <laughs> uh, I wish there was a video of that. Anything else? Kind of prepping for for winter, prepping for first snowfall that you can think of. 
Oh yeah. I mean, I, I can't believe I didn't think of this first. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of one of those nagging uh, things I always remember, but you got to shut off the water and drain the lines. It's amazing how many different places you've, the water gets trapped in piping and you know, how often someone accidentally turns it back on and forgets to turn it back off, you know, even at late in the season. So save yourself a lot of headache and keep and diligently keep checking to make sure the water's off. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good point. Like you said, turns it off, turns it on, but forgets to turn it back off. Cause we're having some weird years where it's snowfall and then it's 70 and sunny and then back to snow. So oh, just absolutely. remembering to keep shutting that, that water off. So yeah. Great point. And then one last thing. So I know a lot of our uh, Southern or coastal communities don't just zone out or skip this episode is they have something similar. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but we manage a lot of coastal garages that are affected by the salt from the ocean that deteriorates much like a garage in the north oh, yeah. that would not pressure wash the salt or the calcium chloride out of the garages. So are you familiar with that? Is that like a thing where salt deteriorates and you have to pressure wash and sweep just like you would for a, a, a northern garage? Yeah, I think, I think that that's an excellent point. I mean, because it this isn't just a, you know, a snow belt or a Great Lakes or a nor, uh, you know, northeast kind of issue, right? You know, in a lot of coastal zones, you do have uh, airborne chloride that can be as or more damaging to structures, right? And so a lot of the practices in terms of cleaning, in, in maintaining those garage surfaces are, are equally vital, but also, uh, you know, the, the waterproofing uh, and protection systems, particularly in those coastal zones, are, are, are critical as well, right? Just because it's not snowing and we're putting DIS and chemicals down doesn't mean that they're not coming in from the, the ocean. And that is something that absolutely does need to be looked at um, and, and, and managed. The only difference is instead of having snow via, you know, collecting in a facility and then de-icing chemicals being applied, it's just drifting in with the humidity, right? It's being carried, carried in from an airborne standpoint. Um, so that can be as aggressive or more aggressive than what we see up north. Yeah, that's great. I'm, gra- I'm glad we're able to leave something for all our listeners out there. So <laughs> that's awesome. So we talked a lot about kind of management on the ground level, but you're design experts. So let's talk a little bit about design. What are some of the things that architects, engineers, you know, need to think about to plan for snow removal? Well, I think, I think it comes down to a couple things. You've got, you know, you've got to have durability systems, right? You've got to, you know, in terms of waterproofing agents, you know, that's one group. Um, I think you also have to think about, you know, what is the physical action of managing snow within a building, right? So you've got to kind of put your head in the place, you know, where, you know, you're envisioning that you're the, you're the, the guy or gal in the, the plow truck, right? And you've got to go execute a snow removal plan. And, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people don't have a good perspective of, you know, because this is an activity that occurs off hours, right? It's a third shift overnight often activity and just a lot of people don't have a familiarity with it. And when you're trying to, to move snow out of a garage, let alone a parking lot, I mean, you're, you're, you're under pressure time-wise to do it, right? Because you got to get it back open for the patrons in the morning or whatever, you know, the users may be, but it's slippery, right? And so you're, you're trying to go as quickly as you safely can, but at the same time, it's not like driving around on, on a, a clean pavement surface. And so there's a lot of slipping and sliding and knowing how, uh, you know, to safely navigate that process. And when you think about it, you've got, 
you know, areas that have to be cleared efficiently. You got to think about, um, you know, how does a bobcat or a plow truck back up and maneuver? How do they get to a snow dump, right, to be able to safely, you know, pick the snow up over an edge and drop it down a chute uh, or into a safe drop area or uh, into a dump truck or into a, a trailer to get it out. I mean, because a lot of garages don't have the ability to, you know, say, put snow over the side, right? So there's got to be kind of a process that's been thought out and established as you know, preferably in the design phase so that you're not backing yourself into a corner where, you know, an expensive trucking process, you know, from a top level of a six or seven story urban deck is what is required when you could have put a snowshoot in, right? Or you could have put a chute with a melting system in. You know, so you really got to do think about, you know, what is the operation of uh, the facility, just like you would, you know, as a, as a designer, right? As you would program a space for you know, an office client for a medical client, right? It's a, it's a necessary function of what, uh, you know, the operator is going to have to do in the building. Yeah, well said. In all my years working in the Northeast, well, maybe three years, but I never worked with the garage that had like a chute or snow melt equipment. That would have been really neat. So <laughs> was it, was it a lot, was it a lot of trailers and trucking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was not, it was not pretty. So right. Not pretty. What about You've probably seen a lot of, I hate to use the word negligence, but people that have ignored these best practices, didn't do a good job. You're having to work on restoration projects. So I guess my question is how has working on these restoration projects, has it changed the way you thought about snow removal or opened your eyes to, to things you may have missed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the opportunity to really you know, learn how damaging things can uh, or practices can be you know from a restoration standpoint you, you know often you're charged with you know impossible tasks of you know how do you you know truly repair something in a lot of cases you can only uh, you know bring it partially way back because the damage is so severe um, but it does i think i think it opens up a lot of perspective in terms of truly um, understanding how to drain slabs, right? What kind of piping systems actually are robust enough to be able to withstand not only, you know, the, the corrosion that can occur, but the, the ice forces, right? And, and how water, uh, particularly in freezing temperatures, actually can still, you know, move through the pipes. You know, what impact uh, from a bobcat on a wall panel really looks like, right? And, and, and it gives you a sense of the scale um, and the magnitude of the force that uh, really can be presented, which is really impressive sometimes, but it can be incredibly destructive if it's not planned for, right? Yeah. You know, I used to have a speaker that I always say, if there's, if you forget everything else, remember this one thing. So is there, is there like one thing that you wish every oper operator or owner would be doing? Is it like pressure washing in the spring and summer? Is it sweeping? Is it using the right de-icing? Is it, you know, what is... Are any, I guess all these are important, but is there kind of one big takeaway you wish every operator would do? Well, I think, I think if we want to confine it to just environmental control, right? I mean, because there's lots of, I've got lots of opinions about garage design, right? <laughs> but if we, if we want yeah. to talk specifically about snow removal, cleaning is about the biggest thing that's out there. And if we're not going to be able to clean the facility, right? I mean, that reflects on the business practice um, and, and what kind of environment we're providing. You know, so there's, there's a lot of different uh, effects with that. Cleaning the floors is a big deal. 
but honestly having a plan for how you're going to actually get snow out of a, out of a structure uh, is vital. The number of owners and operators that, that, we, that we talk to that really are uh, forced into a reactive situation where no one's even thought of it uh, or been required to think about it uh, is really challenging. So have a plan. If you don't know where to start, talk to folks, right? Talk to your vendors. I mean, there's assets that are out there to help uh, develop these kind of plans because the last thing you want to do is have a situation where you've got tons of ice problems, right? And then you've got to be dealing with de-icing chemicals and damaging the structure or you end up with overload scenarios. And the number of, uh, of buildings that we see on a given year that have been overloaded because no one thought to check what the load rating of the structure is and they're on the verge of a collapse scenario, it, it would surprise a lot of folks, I think. Yeah, I remember hearing someone recently lived in a, I can't remember where, Canada, some snow heavy. They were talking about having to remove the snow on the roof. And I was thinking like, why can't you just ignore it? And they said, no, our roof would collapse. Like, it's just like <laughs> right. I just never thought of it like that, you know, but it's, um, and this is a silly question, I think, but I'm assuming that you can make some of these design changes after the fact. If you have an old garage, can you add like a, a chute or a, a place to move the snow after the garage has been built? No, I think, I, I think that's a real pragmatic question. I mean, how many, how many buildings you know, do we run into that are you know, more than five, 10 years old? I mean, it's a huge multitude. And so I think it's a very natural question. And, and there are a lot of different ways to engineer in solutions. And, and frankly, that's, that's a lot of what we do, um, particularly in the upper Midwest uh, with a lot of our, our, our buildings. Um, you know, we've had uh, solutions where we've actually designed you know, things that are as intrusive as cutting holes in the floors and actually shoring things up and creating new ways to be able to drop snow down to the grade level. We've designed snow dumps or crash pads where we actually can run you know, plows and, and heavy equipment into and, and, and prepare the structure for that kind of aggressive uh, behavior. And it certainly can be done. There's some, you know, some really interesting you know, off-the-shelf products um, in terms of snow shoots that you can find. And, and you can even you know, bring in snow melters uh, and engineer them into the buildings if, if you have enough surface area to actually dispose or melt the snow on site. I mean, those things can all be uh, feasibly you know, introduced to a building. It it's really comes down to the cost uh, of what, what needs to occur to keep the building operational. And that's a perfect segue because you talked about engineering solutions and you work for Walker Consultants. So <laughs> I know one rule of podcasting is never ask a two-part question, but I'm going to do it. So tell us a little bit about uh, what Walker Consultants does and then how listeners can get a hold of Walker Consultants. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we're, we are a specialty uh, architecture and engineering firm that specializes in parking design operations, management, and restoration, really all things parking. You know, my personal expertise is in design and restoration of, of garages. And, and honestly, there, there's a lot of resources that we've put together over the years that are helpful for folks. Uh, and many of them can be found at walkerconsultants.com. Well, Carl, uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I think you did a wonderful job breaking down snow removal best practices and design for us. And remember, you can learn more at walkerconsults.com. Carl, thank you so much again and have a great week.
Thank you. Appreciate it. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. It would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mao. Our music and score is by Zona. Our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at parkingcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcasts. Are you interested in your parking organization becoming APO, Accredited Parking Organization Certified through the International Parking and Mobility Institute? Or perhaps you're interested in one of your green garages becoming ParkSmart Certified through USGBC? Well, the Parking Podcast is here to help. Our Parking Accreditations Consultants Network will ensure you are matched with the best site reviewer or green garage assessor available for a fraction of the price. Learn more at parkingcast.com consulting. And don't forget, remember, mark your calendars for IPMI's Mobility and Innovation Summit, a new virtual event bringing together the brightest minds in parking and mobility this coming February. Get all the details and register at parking-mobility.org forward slash MIS.